Nick, pleasure to have you on here. Um, good, good sip, good first sip. That's is that is that coffee? What what are we working with today? Yeah, we're we're drinking coffee out of this uh, awesome Snoopy and Woodstock mug. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, yeah, v- very nice. I need a I need at least one cup to get me throughout my days. So, yeah. Are you usually making coffee at home? Is that the usual kind of? Yeah, mode? I prefer I, I prefer coffee at home, and I uh I just prefer Dunkin' Donuts coffee. If I'm being real, I've actually never had a donut from Dunkin' Dunkin', but I've, I love making their coffee. It got fucking expensive though, man. Uh, but it's worth it. Yeah. What What's the usual get at the Dunkin' if you're going? To be honest, I've never I've never really uh eat, I've never. I could probably count on one hand where I've actually gone and gotten Dunkin' Donuts coffee out. All I know is that I just buy the bag of the Dunkin' stuff at the store and I just make it at home. I really like their coffee. I think it's really good. Do you think that you'd like it more if you were to order it from like a drive-thru or go in there? No, because I'm so used to making it at home how I like it. Like I put cinnamon in the grounds and I put just the right amount of almond milk in it, sometimes oat milk and, uh, yeah, I, I prefer everything at home for the most part. That's a good deal. Now, what what's your stance on Starbucks? When was the last time you had that? Uh, to be honest, I I like their I like their cold brew, but that's pretty much it. I don't really I think everything else there is kind of terrible. <laughs> I'm gonna edit that out because uh, Starbucks is a uh, sponsor of this podcast, so uh, we'll just no way. No wonder dude, how much money you make it from that. That's awesome. Uh, it's, it's one free coffee per two months. Um, pretty good deal on my part. Yeah. Good deal. It's a good deal. Yeah. Um, they, they, they tried to back it down. They said one per a half year. I said, come on, let's work with me here. Yeah. Yeah. They gotta, they gotta, they gotta know their audience. Exactly. Are you, are you opposed to going to a, uh, a local coffee shop? Would you, would you be more prone to be doing that or going to Dunkin' or Starbucks? Um, Probably a local one, but I don't know. I live in San Pedro, and uh, there's not really a lot of good local ones, I would say. There's a place called Sirens that's pretty good, um, but I don't know. I live, like, a little bit more above where it is, so, like, it's like a 10, sometimes 15-minute drive from me, and I'd rather just make coffee at home. I get that. I, I went to a coffee shop um, in San Pedro, a little bit ago now they had like a stand-up uh thing that night that i showed up i was just trying to get some coffee and they had a nice oh, dude, um, dude. sacred grounds maybe was it like on was it next to the warner grand theater like the big theater right there and it was like downtown kind of yeah. area yeah yeah dude that was uh that was probably sacred grounds that's like the dive bar of coffee spots for sure yeah that place is hella interesting to say the least um yeah <laughs> it was I went, quite experience. I, I, I went there with my friends when i was like 19 and there was like an open mic night and oh my god man like not not comedy i think it was comedy or you could do whatever you want and like this one dude went up with an acoustic guitar and a drum machine and it was quite possibly one of the worst things i've ever seen and uh big respect to that guy but wow it was hard for me to hold back laughter that's how that's how that's how sad it was but I don't know. People probably think the same whenever they see, you know, me on some nights. So that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. San Pedro is an interesting kind of area down there. Yeah. Yeah. Up there yeah. rather. Yeah. Well, where are you from? Where Orange you County. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pedro is definitely a little bit 
up there, up up there. From, yeah, from you're just you're just right up the street, really. That's yeah, super close. Yeah. Have you lived there your entire life? Yeah, born and um, Jesus Christ, sorry, born and raised, man. Um, yeah, uh, a part of me, like before the pandemic hit in like 2019, um, I really wanted to move to Long Beach, um, because I it's kind of like my second home. I work at a bar out there uh, called Alex's Bar, and I'm coming up working there for five years, and I've been kind of like the assistant talent buyer there, like helping like book shows and fill the calendar there for almost five years now. Um, and I also work at a records shop that I work uh, called Third Eye, Third Eye Records, right on Retro Row. And, uh, you know, just wanted to get out of my parents' house. And then the pandemic hit, and I was like, well, I don't really want to even think about moving. And then, you know, things started to open back up again. I started to make a little bit more money again. And, you know, but the thing is, is like rent is just so damn high everywhere. And I'm not looking hard enough because I haven't really been giving myself the time to look. So it is just kind of easier to be at home and just keep saving money rather than like, you know, spending anywhere between 12 to 1500 bucks, uh, you know, a month on an apartment somewhere when, you know, I could still just be saving living at home. And a big, a big part of it was like a pride thing for me was like, okay, like, you know, I'm 25 years old, like, and I still live at home with my parents. But like, at this point, I've kind of thrown, I've kind of a little bit of me has kind of thrown my pride out the window in that regard, because like, I know a lot of people do it still. And I know a lot of, especially college students have moved back home too, because it's like, so, you know, rent is just insane everywhere. And it's just, you know, I'm comfortable right now. And especially with touring a lot this last year, you know, I was gone pretty much like six months out of the year last year. So I would be stupid paying rent, like being away that, that much away from home. And I know toward the second half of this year, I'm going to be gone a lot too. So it's just, you know, I'll move I'll, like, I know the right thing will pop up when it's, when it's time, but I would like to get to Long Beach proper as soon as I can. Uh, once something, reliable pops up you know i don't want to be spending an absurd amount of money uh for a shithole apartment right now um yeah i went off on a tangent there sorry about that but no yeah. no I, I i'm glad you're saying it because i yeah. so that was that was a large part of this podcast for me um and i'm, I'm glad that you kind of took the reins uh, of, of doing it i was going to say it if you didn't so i'm glad to be yeah that. yeah cool <laughs> so san pedro uh when when did you start getting into into music when when did that kind of door open up for you so i'll i'll tell you what i tell everybody um i all it it's all gonna go back to my dad when i was about five years old um he was you know like from when i was a baby my dad was always playing music for me you know whatever he liked you know Typical, you know, like classic rock stuff, you know, quote unquote dad rock stuff, for lack of better terms, like Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, um, Sly and the Family Stone, Bruce Springsteen, you know. Uh, but a band that stuck out to me at a very young age, believe it or not, was Rush. Um, and when I was like five, when I was five years old, I specifically remember my uh, my first uh, memory of music. Uh, my dad was playing uh, a Rush cassette in his car, driving me around town. And I remember hearing a song called new world man and i just remember i really liked uh, how it sounded and i remember i said like hey dad who is this is this rush no he said like he's like oh this is rush son and uh he's like do you like it and i was like yeah i think i do and uh 
Rush ended up being like my first concert when I was like eight years old. And long story short, you know, that eventually I picked up a guitar when I was like eight and I, I just never stuck with it. And um, a big thing that got me into actually into drums was like, you know, when I was 10 years old um, at my old house in uh, San Pedro, I used to live off of 20th and Walker. Um, and that's pretty close to a famous uh, a famous uh, sandwich spot in San Pedro called uh, Busy Bee. Have you heard of that? No. That's like a lot of people go to San Pedro just for that sandwich. And it is pretty good. And I used to live pretty close to there. And anyways, one day when I'm like 10 years old, I have no thoughts of playing drums or any other instrument, but I really like music at the time. You know, I'm, you know, I love Black Sabbath. I love Rush. I love whatever my dad, I'm this chubby, awkward 10 year old kid who sucks at sports, who doesn't really, you know, have any other interests in, in anything within the arts whatsoever. But one day me and my dad are walking down the alley because we hear music and uh, we, uh, we see these like, you know, these older guys, you know, just playing covers. I think they were like playing like a ZZ Top song or something. And, you know, my dad knocks on the garage and he's like, hey, can we come in and watch? And they were like, yeah, cool. So my dad's like talking to the owner of the house, this dude named Jim. And then uh, I was, uh, I met the son, his, this kid named Cody. And uh, he played guitar and he was four, like 13 or 14 and I was only 10. He's like, oh, do you play anything? I was like, no, but I really like music. He's like, have you ever thought about playing drums? And I was like, no, not really. And uh, he's like, you should try. And there was like a little jazz bop kit. And uh, yeah, I just got on the kit and like just started like, he showed me how to play like a beat. And then I kind of just like, it came pretty naturally to me. And then I don't, it's hard to remember exactly because it was literally 15 years ago now because I'm 25 now and I was 10, but I wanted to keep going back there almost every day to keep playing and learning how to play drums. And uh, yeah, so, and then I got a kit for my birthday, like six, no, for uh, for Christmas, like six months later. And then, yeah, I just became a, uh, I just became a, uh, like, I don't know, like, uh, I just fell in love a with session music. musician. Like, yeah, because you're part yeah, of the Wrecking I, Crew, right? That was, that was, exactly. that was your... Yeah, you know, I started working with like, you know, Brian Wilson, like almost immediately after that. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, and, but, uh, and you guys butted heads a bit in the beginning. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, he wanted, you know, more didgeridoos and shit. And I was like, nah, man, just let the kit, kit talk. So when I turned 12 years old, um, my life kind of like, I had a moment in my life where it kind of uh, set the forefront of where I'm at today because of that. So when I'm 12 years old, so my dad's a longshoreman, um, which is like the blue collar job in San Pedro that everybody does. I do that on the side too. I'm a casual. I don't need to get into that, but that's just another one of my part-time gigs that I do. And um, my dad's been full-time down there for a long time, like over 20 years. And, um, you know, he's a proud dad, especially at that time, you know, when I, you know, sucked at sports and he, you know, every, every parent wants to talk about their kid and he really didn't have a reason to talk about me until I started getting into drums and everything. So um, he was talking to a guy named Pete Mazich on his job one day. And Pete Mazich um, is the, he's an organ player and he played and still plays um, for Mike Watt, um, who was the bass player. Uh, he started the Minutemen back in the day. He was a founding member of Firehose and he had a solo career and he played for the Stooges when they reunited and, you know, he's a punk rock legend for Christ's sake. And he lives in San Pedro. 
And um, my dad didn't really know who Mike Watt was or anything because my dad, even though he was really into music, he kind of missed out on the punk rock scene and stuff in the eighties and everything, because he kind of immediately went into work, working on a commercial fishing boat when he was uh, 19 years old. After my dad meets this guy, Pete, who plays Oregon and Mike Watt and the second man, um, you know, he's like, oh, your son plays drums. That's cool. Like, um, I play drums for this guy named Mike Watt. Like, you should, uh, you should give him this CD. And he gives uh, my dad um, a CD of uh, the Minutemen uh, album, Double Nickels on the Dime. And I don't know if you're familiar with that record. Yeah, that's a really, really good one. Yeah, it's it's the record that like completely changed my life for the better because I remember I'm 12 years old and my dad gives me this CD to listen to. And uh, he also gave me like a, a Mike Watt solo record called The Second Man's Middle Stand too. And I, I listened to that too. And that Pete played on with the drummer, Jerry, uh, Dr- Jerry Trevitich, who was like a huge influence on my playing, definitely top 10. And uh, anyway, so I'm like 12 years old. I have no idea what, I don't really know what punk rock is. Like, I know who the Misfits are and I know who the Ramones are, but like, and I, but that's like kind of it. Like, I don't know what punk rock is. I don't know. I don't know what DIY is. Like I'm 12 years old for Christ's sake. And um, so I look, I'm looking at this CD and like, I'm tripping out because like, you know, it says, you know, the album cover has Mike Watt driving down the freeway, going toward the 110, like going down the 110 freeway toward San Pedro. And like, it says that on the album cover. And I'm like tripped out because I know exactly where this is. Like, this band is like literally from San Pedro I'm reading about. Like, I didn't know that like, there was a quote unquote, you know, legendary band from where I, like, I didn't know that Pedro was cool like that. And like, I'm... So I put in this album and like, I'm tripped out because like, I'm like, this isn't punk rock. Like, this isn't really like fat. This is like, this almost sounds like a dad rock band, but like, it's weird. And there's like no power chords and it's like straight up, like all like jangly guitar and weird funky bass lines and crazy fucked up drumming. And it's like 43 songs. And I'm like, dude, but the whole record's like, like a barely over under an hour. I don't even know. I should know at this point. And from that, so when you open up the jewel case then you see like an sst records catalog and then you see like you know you like who's are the meat puppets who are the descendants who's sonic youth who's dinosaur jr and then thank god because of the internet you know i start to like do some research and i'm like oh like um my dad is like uh he starts to have like a little bit of like a like a like a like a brain blast he's like yo wait a second like i think i went to high school like with these guys or something and like then he gets his fucking yearbook and like here hold on check this out um that's awesome daddy you you got it on on this is actually the my dad's class of 1976 high school yearbook um and uh he's like mike watt like d boone like those names sound like super familiar and like he opens up his year uh his 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 senior yearbook and like i'm looking it up right here and here fucking i hope this isn't wasting time but yeah no no this is awesome nick yeah and there's there's mike watt right there as a baby in 1976 and then if you go to the h section it's fucking trippy here too because there's the drummer of the Minutemen before the Minutemen were even a thing, George Hurley. 
still class of 76. And then wow. where my dad really blew my mind was when he was a junior in high school, he actually jammed with the singer guitarist of uh, the Minutemen, D Boone, before the Minutemen were even a thing. And and here he's, his, his real name is Dennis. So hold on. I know he is. Yeah, here he is with long ass hair. Dennis <laughs> Boone. Wow, man. Yeah, That's and incredible. then and then just on the on the page before is my my dad. I wish I could grow a mustache like that. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and then he started to put the pieces together, and like you know, it's crazy. He went to high school with all the Minutemen guys, but they weren't really friends. Like you know, my dad was more of like a not a jock, but like you know, like a like a car guy. Like you know, he wasn't really into like. I don't know. That was before, you know, if you know any history about the Minutemen or anything too, like that was before they even got into punk rock. Like they didn't really get into it until like 78, 79. But anyways, I digress. Discovering that album is exactly pretty much how I like where I am today. If it wasn't for them, like if it wasn't for the Minutemen and being from San Pedro and seeing bands like in my own backyard, like Toys That Kill and stuff like that. Toys you know, That I, Kill, yeah. Yeah, like Cause like that, they were like seeing Mike Watt play and seeing Toys to Kill play, and you know other numerous bands who aren't even really worth mentioning, just because like I don't want to waste too much time here. Like, I realized that um, great music is just down the street for me. You know, it's not like you know at a shitty club in Long Beach or the Key Club in Hollywood or the House of Blues. You know, like there's a lot of cool stuff right in my backyard, and yeah, from that point on, I just started playing in bands at a very young age. Like I started my first like serious band when I was like 16, 17 uh, called Law. And that kind of like, you know, don't need to get into that too much, but that essentially like kind of got me into like, gave me a taste of like playing serious shows and a little bit of touring when I was like 18, 19. And yeah, like since I was, since I've been about 21, 22 years old, I've been, touring pretty seriously seriously with numerous bands and you know getting to the point now where you know it's definitely not a full-time career for me but it's definitely at least takes up half of my time I mean I was gone six months out of the year last year and luckily I have enough part-time jobs at home to help supplement that and you know it's it's good and I'm uh I'm very I'm very fucking grateful like to say the least and if that's like one thing that I want people to understand about me is that like, I know like um, I'm very lucky in that regard. And um, a lot of people ask me sometimes like, oh, how do you, how do you get to where you're at? Like, you're so young. Like, how do you like do that? And I'm just like, and my, <laughs> my real answer is I don't really know other than I'm lucky that I started at a very young age. And I'm lucky that I started a, a see my first like real serious band at a very young age that was hungry and I'm still hungry. And, uh, you know, I've been playing seriously in multiple bands and getting my name out there for almost 10 years now. And it is hard work too. Like I work, I, for better, for worse, I try to make, I do music as like, I try to do music in any regard like whether if it's with playing drums or DJing as my full-time job, like I try to make it my full-time job, even though like it really shouldn't be, but like, I really try to put like 75% of my eggs in that basket for better, for worse, because luckily I still can. 
and you know I've proved myself with like being carefully with budgeting and saving in certain regards and you know that like it is possible if you do work hard enough and trying not to spread yourself too thin and I definitely do that as you can tell as I'm like crazily writing stuff down on a post-it note to take care of after we're done with this meeting <laughs> wow man that's in, that's incredible Nick that you're you, you seem like you have a really strong work ethic in that you you know what you want to do and that's fantastic man yeah you know like I'm not like I'm not a lazy person. And I think when I was in high school, I was a lot more lazy um, with getting work done and with just in general. And it's hard, it's hard to uh, remember the crossover of when I started from being like a lazy person to like the opposite of a lazy person who just can't, who has to have their calendar filled and has to absolutely do something every single day. Like, I'll tell you, I can't remember the last time I've had a night to just do nothing and just like sit home by myself and like watch a movie. But for better, for, for better, for worse, I can't really remember the last time I've like had, oh, wow, I have no plans today. Like, and I don't know, a lot of people who are older than me tell me that I am going to burn out and it's going to, you know, I got to start slowing down or something is going to happen. And uh, I don't know. I feel like that breaking point is going to come sooner than later, definitely before I'm 28, 27, but I don't know. I'm ha I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now. Like with my, with, with, uh, I play in three bands, uh, pretty much, um, both two are pretty active. Frankie, I play in Frankie and the witch. I play drums in Frankie and the witch fingers. I also play in a band called slaughterhouse. Um, and I also play in a band called Asquatch. Um, if you count this, I have a Black Sabbath cover band with my dad. Um, right now I'm working on a, a Bowie, a David Bowie tribute night um, that we do every year at Alex's bar that we're doing actually in a few days. I play drums in like half of the songs for that. We're doing like 33 songs. Um, I, don't know, I think I'm doing like a Valentine's Day show. I don't know. I do a lot of these things because I like doing them, but at the same time too, it's just like, you know, it's, it's pretty easy for me too. like, I love Bowie. I love certain songs that I'm going to play for the, for the other thing. I, I don't know. Sorry. I'm rambling. <laughs> no, what, what is, uh, if, if you can give me an answer for this top three Bowie songs right now, I mean, they, oh. and, and, I, and I know that these, these, these answers, these questions always change, but as of right now, as of one thirty yeah. on the dot, what is Bowie? That? Bowie is a, uh, Bowie is an all-time favorite artist for me. Like doing the, I don't listen to him as much as I used. Uh, oh Jesus Christ, sorry. Um, I don't listen to him as much as I used to, but um, I would say that there are three songs that probably stick with me the most after all these years. And um, I'll tell you right now, one of those has got to be "Moon Age Daydream." Um, Fantastic. I, that was the first like non-Bowie hit, like because it's a. Every song by Bowie's a fucking hit. But like, I think that was the first like song that you basically don't hear on the radio that much that definitely. I pretty much like, that I like really fell in love with and connected with was definitely Moon Age Daydream. Probably another one would be uh, Gene Genie uh, off of Aladdin Sane. I absolutely love that song. Don't really know why. 
but I just love it. And my all-time favorite Bowie song that my dad showed me at a pretty young age was a song called Stay. Uh, it's track five on Station to Station. Not a lot of people know it, even though I think people should. Um, and that's the one song that I'm singing for the David Bowie tribute. Yeah, um, <laughs> Station to Station has got to be my favorite Bowie album for sure. Uh, really? Oh, dude, for sure. I mean, it's six songs. They're all perfect. Station to Station, uh, Golden Ears, uh, Word on a Wing, uh, TVC 1-5, Stay, and Wild is the Wind. Like, love all those songs. That record is like the perfect precursor to the Berlin era, and it's like the perfect follow-up to Young Americans because, you know, he was like doing the Blue-Eyed Soul thing, and it was like kind of corny but still sick. And like comes he does this like crazy like kraut rock inspired like funk soul rock and roll record and it's just i don't know i can't recommend station to station enough and i feel like a lot of people who like david bowie aren't really familiar with that record and i really think they should be so there's my shameless plug for today love it plugging i'm plugging a dead guy for christ's sake taking taking a step back to to drumming what do you get from drumming? What what is what does it give you? What, how do you feel when you do it? That's a really good question. Appreciate um, it. Drumming, drumming, because it, it's something that I feel like I don't reflect. It's a question that I don't reflect on enough. Um, but uh, I guess the the first word that comes to mind is liberating. Um, I feel like being a hardworking and a drummer, I feel like just being a drummer in general is a very rewarding instrument because one, you know, it's a big joke throughout people who play music. Everybody's looking for a drummer to play in their band and everybody's looking for not just a drummer, but like it's number one, it's really hard to find a drummer. And number two, it's even harder to find a fucking good drummer. And I'm, you know, I say this in the most humble way possible. Like, I know I'm a good drummer, but it's taken years to get where I'm at. Like, and I will say this too, drumming is really the only thing that I've ever really been good at. <laughs> like, I suck at drawing. I suck at like anything else. I can't play any other instrument, like for better, for worse. Like, yeah, I'm really good at drums, but that's like the only thing that I could say I'm really good at. Like, I'm good at other things, but that's like the only thing I could say I'm really good at. And there's still so much more room for improvement too. There's still so many more things that like I see drummers do behind the kit. That I'm like, fuck, I wish I could do that. And um, I know it's possible because I know uh, when I've sat down behind a kit and worked on something hard enough or worked with another drummer hard enough to get something down that I want to learn, I can do. But going back to your question what do i get out of drumming yeah it's very liberating it's a very rewarding feeling getting behind a kit and um just making a group of like i've never really viewed myself as a drummer who's like uh, like you know come just come watch me rip like watch me like i'm not like an instagram drummer who's like you know like oh yeah doing crazy shit I want to be the drummer, the kind of drummer, and I've always wanted to be the kind of drummer who's not necessarily like the star of the band whatsoever, because I'm a drummer for Christ's sake, I'm in the back, but I want to like make whoever I'm playing with sound the absolute like best that we can be. And, you know, 
and I really do feel like I I do my best to serve that role in all of my bands that, that I play. Sure, do I do some flashy shit here and there? Yeah, of course. But like, I want to like make sure that like when I'm behind the kit with with any of my bands, like I'm making sure that like I'm serving my part in making the band as a whole sound the best. And um, in that way, it's very rewarding for me. And I will say too, whenever I'm like playing a live gig with anybody, the best feeling in the world, and this is a feeling that I got at a very young age when I played the first talent show that I ever played when I was 10 years old. Um, and I just played along to a fucking Creedence Clearwater Revival song. And I did like a little dumb drum solo after. And I'll never forget, I was like 10 years old. Maybe I just turned 11, I don't remember. And just like a room of parents and a room of kids, just, you know, my age. And I was like in fifth grade at the time, like just going crazy. Like, you know, uh, I think from that moment on, it's like, I realized like what I want to do. It's like, I want to make people feel a certain way from playing music uh, rather than anybody else. Like there's no better feeling than uh, making somebody feel a type of way uh, like uh, from the way you play music for them. Like I feel the way when I go see one of my favorite bands play and they're absolutely on fire. I love the way that makes me feel. So if I get to return that, in any certain way too that's like the best feeling on the planet like there's really nothing better than playing an awesome show and having people stoked on what you do it's just it's a very unique uh liberating feeling and uh you know it makes me really grateful in that regard i don't know what i would i don't know what i would really do i don't really know where i would be without that kind of with it without that yeah wow i like the answer nick yeah i'm trying <laughs> very genuine the coffee's kicking in clearly i'm like yeah it. and i'm rambling a little bit and uh no no this, this talking is out loud talking out loud is kind of killing me a little bit too because of my ear being plugged so i feel like my whole world is like on one side of me right now <laughs> we gotta we, we gotta let the people know nick is going through some ailments right now and he's pushing through because he's the workhorse and he and he said he'd be on the podcast and and he is and <laughs> yeah, i appreciate that nick my Thank left you. ear i've i've this is gonna sound kind of gross but like i got I got some earwax built up in my left ear and I've been using these eardrops these last few days to help clear it out. And yesterday I put in the drops and uh, it, it never cleared out. So I think the liquid is like stuck in there or something. Oh, yeah. and I've been, there. I honestly yeah. might need to go to urgent care or something after this. There's uh, um, hydrogen peroxide. Yeah. Have, have you used that yet? Not I've used it on other parts of my body when I got, scratched by a cat pretty bad last year but um other than that no i've never put it in my ear it put bubbles it ear. but yeah. it bubbling yeah i don't know yeah it would it, it bubbles and then you gotta you gotta dump it out now this is um the medical portion of the of the podcast so uh, and we are going to take some questions from uh some people who have submitted some some health, health concerns yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay we're gonna, we're gonna do it right now and um, that's the reason why I had you on this episode specifically, Nick, because, you know, I, I know that, that you, you're, you're pre-med student as well on top of everything else. So we're just going exactly. to <laughs> go ahead and take these, these uh, questions. What was the, the, the first time kind of joining or getting together with Slaughterhouse like for you? What was, what was that kind of first experience like 
jamming or rehearsing, whatever the first kind of step was with that band? How did that feel? Um, so that was a while ago now too. That was back in 2018 and the slaughterhouse started in a, it was a, let me, let me make sure my timeline here is right. Um, they started in, um, the, I, I believe that slaughterhouse officially formed with their first singer and their first drummer in December of 2017. I think that's when they had their first show. And that lineup was only about six months. The singer quit in June and the drummer quit after that. So Eddie and Taylor, the bass player and the guitar player, um, you know, were kind of left to like still want to do Slaughterhouse, but, you know, start, you know, find new members to fill that hole because, you know, they were only a band for like six months and picked up a lot of traction and played a lot of good shows. And they were like, well, this is stupid. We don't want to like throw this, this band away that easily, you know? So uh, Eddie and Taylor were living in Pedro at the time and they hit me up to see if I wanted to maybe play. And uh, I was down and us three were working on instrumentals and, you know, coming up with like pretty well-structured instrumental tracks. And then eventually after trying out so many singers and trying to find so many singers, long story, uh, ended up finding this girl named Veronica, uh, who's still in the band to this day who never sang in a band before, never really even thought about it until Eddie, the bass player, reached out to her about doing it. And she's a natural and she's been killing it. And there's been a lot of ups and downs um, over these last few years, but mostly up and uh, don't really plan on stopping anytime soon. Um, yeah, finally writing some new music for a new, new for a new record. Um, we've got one record called Fun Factory that came out last year on Recess Records. Um, thank you, Todd. And that picked up a lot of love. That got a lot of love. And uh, yeah, I guess that's all I got to say about that. Did you feel immediately that you're like, this is the right band to be in? This is this is where I belong? Um, it's hard to say, man. Um, like, because, you know, I don't know. The last, the, the both of the bands that I'm in are, are were already like sort of a like Slaughterhouse was already sort of established, and when I joined Frankie, they were already pretty established. So that was always, you know, I always feel a little bit intimidated going in as like the new guy. Um, but you know, I always bring my own flavor. Um, so yeah, for the most part, yeah, I, I I felt pretty 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 comfortable in that regard. That's awesome. Yeah. And with Slaughterhouse, I mean, you guys have opened up for like Bad Religion, Dead Kennedys, Pennywise, all these great classic bands. Did you ever feel like you would be, I mean, looking back <clears throat> at being 10 in, you know, your, your your buddy's garage, like saying, hey, you should pick up the drums. Did you ever think that that would take you to the point of opening up for these bands? No, no. I mean, not at all, honestly. And, uh, you know, I think, I think the way I think of why I feel, you know, when things like that happen, um I don't know I don't necessarily feel like they're uh like I'm I'm very I'm really lucky in that regard like especially like getting a tour with a band like because we did like a 10-day tour with Bad Religion and uh, well 10 shows but I think it was like two weeks and it was amazing like those guys like not even just the band alone but like everybody on their crew too were just like so nice and so welcoming and like um you know, just being this like newer band, 
you know, for some people have been doing like with like around guys who've been doing that for years is just like nothing short of uh, an honor. And, uh, you know, and it's even more of an honor to me personally, too, when a band like Frankie and the Witchfingers or a band like Slaughterhouse, um, you know, headlines our own shows. And a lot of people come out to those as well, too. Like that feeling for me personally, like, don't get me wrong, as much as great as it is to open up for a legacy act, it's way better when you're headlining your own show and almost selling out and or selling out your own show like that means like all right like we worked hard to get where we're at because of you know because of it we worked hard to get where we're at and that's a good feeling yeah i bet i mean just it's like it, it, it as you said it is nice to play with these huge bands that have been around and that has it, uh, in some way inspired you right oh for some sure of them. yeah oh, and sure, man. Like, especially Bad Religion specifically. Like, they were one of the first punk bands I ever got into because playing Tony Hawk and shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dead Kennedys for a lot of kids as well for, through Tony Hawk. Of course. Of yeah, course. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but with the, with if you're headlining a show or playing it with, you know, your people that you usually see at shows or have gone to their shows, you guys are playing a show together. It's like, well, we're kind of bringing this all in that the people are here to see us and not just dead kennedys or you know bad religion or whoever it may be that must be a really special yeah. feeling nick yeah and you know it's for opening for certain bands like that too that help us uh you know get you know discover us and stuff too so that's why we are appreciative of getting bones like that thrown at us you know that's killer man that's that's awesome um how did you wind up being in Frankie and the Witch Fingers, how did that kind of come about? So that was a pretty, uh, a pretty, uh, like that came out of nowhere and it happened very quickly. Um, it was December of 2021, and uh, I wasn't really looking for another band at the time, but I got a DM from their page from the singer Dylan and was like, Hey man, uh, we're looking for a uh, we're looking for a drummer to write and tour with. And when I, when someone tells me that, that mean that translate to, okay, we're not looking for a fill-in guy. We're looking for a full-time guy. So I was like, okay, let's see what this is about. And like within like a week we met up and uh, we jammed on like a couple of new ideas they had. And I sort of like half learned a couple of like older songs. And uh, I was according to them and uh, I don't know. I think the humble guy in me is still thinking this isn't true, but apparently I was the only guy they tried out and with, you know, and that, that we jammed for like four or five hours. And at wow. the end of the practice, uh, you know, not just jam, but, you know, we hung out a little bit too and got to know each other a little bit. And at the end of the practice, you know, they never really said like, all right, you got it. Or like, nah, you don't got it. It was kind of more like, yeah, yeah, we'll talk soon. Like we'll talk within the new year after the holidays and everything. And I was, I kind of went home with like this like weird, uncertain feeling uh, of like, man, do they like me or not? Like, I don't know. And then uh, when I got home, I got a text, like within like 30, 45 minutes later, I got a text from Dylan that said like, hey man, that was really fun. Uh, if you want to be in our band, if you want to be in the band, we'd love to have you. I was like, all right, it's sick. So yeah. So I've literally, I've only been in the band for like barely a year now. Yeah. So wow. it's pretty crazy. Yeah. 
were you familiar with their um discography like had you ever tried to play one of their songs before that no kinda... no no to be honest like i was familiar with who they were and like one album but not i wasn't like a super like i wasn't like super familiar with them before but so it's kind of been like you know it's been really it's been more fun writing new stuff and everything but it's been cool going back in the catalog and learning uh older songs too and especially like putting my own flavor on them too which they're always stoked on which is nice too like they're not sticklers about like how a certain like obviously there's like certain things that need to be played a certain way but for the most part i have like free reign to do me you know right that's which awesome is, which is very fucking nice to say the least <laughs> how many tours have you guys gone on since being in the in the band i mean a couple of legs right yeah well i'll tell you right now i did five tours last year with a lot of like one-off shows with every band in between um you know i think slaughterhouse played close to like 20 something shows last year and frankie played close to like 80 more or less and i did like as far as touring goes i did two europe tours three u.s tours and one australian tour so yeah six tours technically yeah one 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 slower one tour with slaughterhouse two u.s tours with frankie two europe tours with frankie the second europe tour was wasn't like as long as the first one it was kind of more of like some makeup dates and some festivals and stuff in the end yeah to cap it off in november frankie went to australia and that was fucking so much fun but so tiring man 10 flights in eight days because you got to fucking fly everywhere uh I oh yeah gosh man that's yeah it. so i i did a lot last year and i wish i documented it more like i should have like took more pictures and i should have kept more of a diary and i should have uh logged every single show that i did but because i don't think i'm gonna do that that much this year unfortunately i hope but we'll see what's the most challenging part of being on tour as a percussionist like what is what is the what is the thing that grinds your gears the most is it loading as or as a percussionist? No, yeah. man. Like, no, pulling my weight as far as loading and all that stuff is, is fine. I don't mind. Like, I know what I signed up for being a drummer. <laughs> like, you know, is it the most convenient? No, but like, I know what I signed up for. I'll tell you the hardest thing about being on the road a lot is just being kind to yourself physically and mentally. Like, you know, like you, like you, especially being a drummer, man, like you get like for, for better you know you do have a very like rigorous physically taxing job and like i got to do my best to you know i got to be careful when i eat and what i eat and when i drink and when i don't drink and when i sleep and when i don't sleep you know that's the hardest part about being on the road every day is fucking different and that is something that like i wish i could like show somebody who like doesn't get it because a lot of people at home and uh have you know, I, you know, and people who I've, you know, <laughs> this is going to sound shitty, but who I've dated in the past, like, you know, something that they just don't get. I don't wake up at the same time every day. I don't play at the same time every day. I might be asleep at a certain time. Like I'm not fucking part. I'm not partying all the time. Like, you know, we're lucky if we get to hang out and party after a show, because usually you have to pack it up and go straight to the hotel where you're sleeping at the night because you might have an early morning the next day. You know, it's like, it ain't all fucking peaches and cream. You know, you're lucky when you get to have a fucking comfortable day on the road. The best part about being on the road is 
playing a fucking is playing the show. And sometimes you might not even have a good show because it might be an off night or the crowd might suck or you might suck or you might have gotten an argument with your bandmates that day and the energy might not be there. Not everything is fucking not everything is perfect. It might like it might look like that because you know I post about it on Instagram and my band might post about it on Instagram, but you know, like not everything is fucking perfect. And you know, at the end of the day, touring is a job. Sure. Can it be fun? And is it a very rewarding job? Of course it is, like a fucking grateful, but it is a job at the end of the day. And not be, you know, doing your job all the time isn't always fun. There's a lot of fucking there's a lot of bullshit that comes with doing your job. And that's something that I want to stress to like everybody listening to that, listening to this right now. Granted, a lot of people who probably listen to this are probably musicians themselves and understand where I'm coming from. But a lot of like, you know, people who don't tour and everything, it's like, it ain't, it ain't always fucking fun. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You, you, you see, you, you kind of put out there what you want people to see and it's not, it, no, yeah. of course, of course. It's it's not always peaches and cream, like you said. I mean, that's that's everybody with their own personal life too. Like it's every even, job, it's every relationship. Everybody, yeah, man. It's everything. You know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you do anything to prepare before a gig? Is there something like do you, do you stretch out? Do you try to drink a lot of water? Do you drink yeah. less things so you don't have to, you know, uh, what, whatever. What was that? What was the last thing you said? <laughs> do you try to not drink like water so you you won't have to like feel like you have to go to the bathroom? Like, is that? Oh are, are no, like you do. Well, I always make sure I take a piss before I play, even if I don't really have to go. That's um, crucial, yeah, right? I, I mean, I'm always I'm always drinking water throughout the day, so for the most part, I'm hydrated. Gotta um, stay. Crucial. I like I mean, you, you, you saw you see me, Nick. I this is the second yeah. bottle. I, I'm with you, man. Right before I play, um, I usually like to do um a little bit of push-ups just to get my blood pumping, jumping jacks, lots of like jumping it down. I like to go on like a power walk, like usually like an hour before I play. Um yeah, not a lot of I don't really like to think about it too much, honestly. I feel like the less I think about it, uh I, the better I play, but I definitely do like to get in the zone a little bit too physically before I play, but I don't really have like a ritual or anything, you know, like a lot of, a lot of people do, you know, I don't need to really like get it together or anything. I just need to like, I just need like a solid 10, 15 minutes to just like, you know, just, yeah, get, make sure everything's working, get the, get the exactly. blood where it needs to be short. Yep. Do you view per percussion the same way, regardless of the, the project that you're playing in? I like to think that I'm a different drummer in anything that I play for. Like I have certain ways, like I even set up my kits differently for Slaughterhouse versus Frankie. Like I keep my cymbals a little higher with Frankie and my hi-hat a little bit lower with Frankie. And it's like the opposite with Slaughterhouse. I keep my hi-hat a little bit higher with Slaughterhouse. Because I do like a lot more like disco type beats with Slaughterhouse and uh, I like to keep my crashes low so everything's a little bit closer but with uh, you know and I'm a lot more kind of like in the pocket like death rock punk rock style with Slaughterhouse but with Frankie I kind of tend to be more of like a like a caveman almost like like an intricate caveman. Um, yeah, and especially when you're doing covers too, like for like a David Bowie band or like you know you got to play like you know you try to play you try to serve the role serve the role like i try to i try to be like a, like the drummer for that band whoever i'm playing with like as, so. as accurately as possible exactly exactly gotcha gotcha 
Um, when did you begin to DJ? When, when, when did that kind of enter your life? So I've always really been into records. I mean, clearly, <laughs> uh, ever since I was like 12 years old. Um, and I didn't really start taking DJing seriously until um, like back in like 2019 before everything like really shut down hard. Um, I don't know. Someone just asked me if I wanted to like DJ a show because I had like cool records like and uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. And then the pandemic hit and then I sort of started doing it like more for fun. And then uh, I just essentially just got way more into different types of music because of it. Like I really got into soul and funk music and uh, Latin music because of it too. And yeah, and like, it's really funny. <laughs> I'll never forget my friend, Phil, who works at Alex's bar, who's just, kind of a shithead sometimes for lack for lack of better terms like he's he said like he's like dude like when you started DJing like you were dog shit like dog shit and now like you're just as good as a DJ as you are at playing drums and he said that to me like a year ago and I like I was like dude shut uh, like I still don't believe that to this day I still don't really think I'm that good of a DJ but I don't know um that's kind of how that happened and I fucking love doing it now dude like i I'm getting a lot better. Uh, you know, if any, you know, I will say that like, I've, I know, I know what music I like and I know what I like to spin, you know, beat matching and transitioning, all that shit is kind of icing on the cake that I'm slowly but surely starting to get better at. Uh, but, you know, even my friend, my, 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 my friend, Dennis Owens, he's the one who really got me into taking it seriously. And, uh, he even said like, dude, 90% of DJing is just picking good songs. And like, I still firmly believe 90% of it is that for sure. Um, yeah. And I know, no, no, no ego talking here. Like, I know I have dope records, like, and I know, and whenever I get a gig going, like, I know I'm going to, I'm going to bring something that I like, but I want it, I want it to be something that like, I know, or I desperately want the audience to like too. Like this song right here. It was a good song. Man. very nice i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna pause it later on i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna get the name of it. i got i got you well, that's a good song <laughs> great one if you can yeah. catch it it's a good one yeah no um, it's, i'll tell you right now it's called uh are you my woman tell me so by the chai lights bomb bomb funky soul track super bomb awesome super bomb. <laughs> how does being in front of people DJing and being in front of people as a drummer differ for you? Oh, uh, it's very different. It's so different. Like, uh, I almost never get stage fright when it comes to, uh, when it comes to drumming because I've just been so used to it. And, uh, but when it comes to DJing, I still get a little like, depending on the gig, like if there's a lot of people there and there's a dance floor and it's going crazy, like, that's when I'm like, okay, you got, I got to be on my shit. I got to be on my shit. Like I still get nervous in that way. But if it's just a, you know, if I'm just like providing a soundtrack for like a bar or a restaurant or something like that, I'm fine with that. Like, cause I know I'm playing dope tunes and you know, I'm, I'm always confident in that regard for sure. But like, if it's a night where like, you know, I'm with like a, some quote unquote hot DJs and like, you know, I got like some, I have like a 45 minute set of time to shine. That's where I get fucking nervous for sure. Yeah. Cause right. I'm not super comfortable as a DJ yet. I've only been doing it seriously for like two years. 
like and i still hate calling myself that still still honestly but you know like i don't even have dj in my bio i say i like drums and records that's true yeah but yeah you, you gotta I do read go between by, the lines I, it's there yeah, it's there nick exactly. you're just not but saying i go it. by my dj name is dj nick at night yeah yeah and i'm stoked too because like you know a lot of my favorite djs have asked me to guess guest dj with them too to the point where i never thought they would ever ask me like my buddy uh like dennis has asked me who got who single-handedly pretty much got me into djing and a lot of different music uh he's had me guest dj his night in long beach the good foot a couple times uh my 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 friend clifton weaver who's an insanely good dj and insanely talented musician as well who is a insanely dope dj asked me to dj with him at zebulon in a couple weeks uh in la in frogtown for the soul shakedown party and i'm super stoked for that um the hottest fucking night well maybe it's the hottest night i don't know i think it is the best night for funk and soul uh, djing as a night called funky soul in la and uh miles the guy asked me if i want to do it in february and i'm like as a guest i'm like dude fuck yeah like so maybe I'm doing something right is what I'm saying, you know. I would say it, so. Yeah. I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. I do not have draw in Long Beach and in, in 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 LA. Like homies, I just don't have a lot of friends in LA proper. Like who would come out to those kinds of things in Long Beach? Yeah, I got a good chunk of homies, but like in LA, like no. Nah. So they must think I'm decent because <laughs> they're throwing me a bone. That's yeah. awesome, man. Um, how often are you buying vinyl while on tour? Oh, while I'm on tour? While I'm on tour, I, I kind of don't like to do it too much because it crowds up the van and it's really hard to take care of records a lot on the road. I mostly buy 45s when I'm on the road. Uh, that's kind of what I'm more into these days anyway, just because they're most time cheaper cheaper, and they're really good to DJ with and they're cut louder, which means like when you when you put it on the turntable, they're, they're a lot louder. Um, yeah, uh, I try to keep my spending limited on the road when it comes to records unless it's like a shop that i really want to go to to like yeah <laughs> has there been a record that you've been trying to find that you just can't that you know exists but you just can't find it um it's a good question um yeah, I mean, there's just certain things, there's just certain records that are just like so impossibly rare that you just know you're never going to see it in a store or honestly, rarely ever on the internet. Um, <laughs> there's this, uh, I doubt anyone is going to know what this song is, but it's like my number one want on my 45 list. Um, the song is called Federico by uh, this Puerto Rican band called uh taller afro ritmo ritmo taller afro ritmo and the it's it's just like awesome are you familiar with the style of music called guaguanco no i know i'm not Where, it's where's like that a, native it's, to? A, it's i believe the style originated in cuba i could be wrong i wish i had someone to fact check me on that but it's like the purest form of like it's like it's like derives from Afro-Cuban music and like it's like the precursor to like salsa music. And it's just like it's just amazing. And uh I don't even know how many copies there were printed of this 45. And like it's just stupid rare and stupid expensive. And like let's just say if a copy ever pops up, I'll definitely have to it'll be hard for me to not throw down hundreds of dollars on it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm stupid. Has there been a record that you've found in 
a shop and you're like, oh, I'll I'll just get that later. I don't need to get that now. And then you haven't been able to come across it since then. That's a good question. Probably off the top of my head. I can't think. Um, I do have a couple of records in my collection that I could say that I thought I would never own that I do own. That's like absolutely insane to me. In fact, here, really quick. I'll show you really quick. Um, I'm a, I don't know. We don't have to get too deep into it. Like I'm a huge, obviously, as you could tell, I'm a huge music geek and I love so many different styles of music, but I'm really, uh, I went through a phase a couple of years ago last year and I still very much am into it. I just don't collect them really into like African disco records, like early, like, uh, like stuff from Nigeria, like, uh, and this record right here is a record called a uh, Friday night by, uh, this guy named Livy, uh, Ekemezi or something. I think that's how you say his name. And this record is like so fucking hard to find and so hard to find clean. The fact that I, the guy that I know a guy who had this record for sale, Let's just say this record is so expensive that I didn't buy it. I like traded like a whole crate of records for it that I had that I was going to sell out a pop-up. But I was like, when he told me he had this record and he said he was, he was willing to trade for it. I was like, dude, I'm just going to bring in like a whole crate of like fire records. And yeah, I never thought I would own this record. Um, it's insanely rare and it's insanely good. I think the average that it, I think the most it's ever sold for online was like 1500 bucks or something. Uh, yeah, it's insane. But yeah, and it's really crazy too because like um, a lot of African records were not pressed on blue vinyl, but this wow. was pressed on blue vinyl. I believe it's from, I, I believe it's from, yeah, 1983. Yeah, made in Nigeria. Yeah, um, and it's super clean as far as African records goes. A lot of them record, a lot of those records are really hard to find clean. So yeah, I mean, Patience is a virtue, especially when it comes to record collecting. That's for sure. Um, you know, and the fact that I didn't, I didn't have to pay anything for it was great too. You know, it was just, you know, I just had to trade a bunch of records for it. And like, you know, I don't have any regrets for it whatsoever. I look at it like a, as an investment too, you know, like sure. I, I'm sure I'm going to be over all this one day. I'm sure I'm going to want to hopefully, hopefully this will help me put a down payment on a house one day or, you know, I don't know everything comes in phases you know i'm only 25 i'm sure by the time i'm 40 50 60 years old maybe i'll be over a lot of it and maybe just hold on to the ones that are near and dear to me i don't know i don't like to think about it too much <laughs> we'll see down as the a line. dj and as someone who really likes the dj i'm holding on to most of them for now very nice do you have a rough idea of what songs you're going to play in in what order when you're bringing some records when I first started DJing, I would really pay attention to that. Like, okay, it's got to be in this order. And like, I got to do it like this. Now, no, I just kind of like, like before a gig, I usually like to prepare like a few hours before, like give myself like three to four hours. That way, like it's fresh in my head of like what I want to play and like, you know, have an idea of the vibe that I want to set. And like, you know, I'll put aside like some deep R, like some hard R&B and some like, some nice soul funk stuff and like maybe some disco right there and maybe some like early like hard garage and I'll like mix it all together and like I'll kind of keep like the vibe separated in my crates and then you know when I get to the gig we'll see how it is and yeah like and the trick to being a good DJ is just uh just knowing your songs really well like when they end when they start um 
you know i don't really think about like the order too much but i definitely think about the vibe that i'm gonna bring if that makes if that makes sense sure sure absolutely yeah. um how many records are you usually bringing to a set is that is it like a fixed number or you're no, it's you not bring a more than number. you use or do you kind of i always bring, i always bring a little more than i use especially for a gig that i don't really know what the vibe is going to be like i don't know i'll probably bring anywhere between like uh i don't know probably about like i don't know 70 to 80 45s and maybe like yeah i don't know like I don't know, a crate of records which holds about 40 records you know but like obviously i don't play all that but it's easy to carry too one box of 45s and one box of lps is is nothing yeah yeah has there been a record that you've brought regularly that you just haven't found the right time to put it into the rotation to play you know you know it's funny that's a really good question because like <laughs> there's a there's one song uh off of uh, I don't even know if it's in my crate right now. Uh, but there's a there's one song that I always bring just in case. Like if I get an if I like I always want to bring it to like a dancing gig where I know people are going to be dancing. Uh, and I just never find the right time to do it. But it's a song called uh, "Rock Creek Park" by a band called the Blackbirds, and uh, it's just like super nasty and it's just like it's not really like a dance floor track but like if you get them dancing then they might keep dancing to it and i haven't really like gotten a chance to do that yet but i always keep it in my crate just in case and uh yeah it's a great song like i can't recommend that song a lot like uh, enough like it's super like i don't know like it's not necessarily disco but it's like proto disco -y. I don't know. The Blackbirds are a great band. Yeah. Yeah. What makes a song or an artist stand out to you? If you if, if you're able to pinpoint like what it is like about that song Blackbird for instance, like what what is it about that song that really made it stick in your mind? Um I don't know. The chorus is really catchy. There's like a some synth in the background that's like super like uh I don't know, it's like an earworm of a track for me the the guitar that it starts with just like a it's just like a big simple hook the whole song there's like one lyric the whole time like doing it in the park doing it at dark oh yeah rock creek park like that's it that's like the whole lyric the entire time and there's like some nasty synth you know, it's like, so I have reasons for why I like certain songs, but I don't know, man, like there's so many songs and there's so much music out there that like, you know, every once in a while, there's one that just like, you can't get rid of. And uh, luckily everybody has songs in that regard that are different to them in, in that regard. Like, for example, a lot of people probably just think that song is whatever. And there's a lot of songs that people love that I probably just think is whatever. That's kind of the beautiful thing about music. You know, it is all, you know, for lack of better terms, you know, all subjective. Oh, and to interpretation for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Not everyone is going to like what you like. And that's okay. That's all right. Cause they like what they like. That's why I never even get butthurt if people like, you know, don't even like any of my bands or anything too. Cause like you can't expect everybody to like everything. The world would sure. be, if everybody liked the same thing, the world would be so boring. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's a good point, Nick. 
now I say this one for the last question because it is a, a rough one. Oh man. Roughly, how many records do you think you, you own? And that's including 45s. I mean, a rough number ballparking it. Ballparking a number. Um including 45s. Including 45s. Probably like 24, 2500. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I, I felt like that was gonna be like oh like okay all right i'm i'm glad that there's there's a there's a fixed kind of kind of amount that you're roughly shooting in. but i'll tell you right now there's so many 45s and a good amount of lps that i really need to go through and just like consolidate soon i there's definitely a lot of shit that i don't listen to and a lot of shit i hold on for for nostalgic value and a lot of shit that i've had that were given to me or stuff that I bought a long time ago. Like, I don't really like it or listen to it anymore, but maybe I'll like it one day. And it's just kind of hard for me to get rid of those records, but I don't know. That, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. <laughs> sure. Sure. That's it. That's a project for another day, Nick. Oh um, yeah. We can, we can talk about that any other time. Nick, I, I really appreciate you sitting down with me, man. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, but before I let you go, there's a promo we got to do. So Slaughterhouse's music, streaming everywhere wherever the people get it that's where they can find it right yeah yes that's correct and they could support the band directly uh for through buying the merch and the music at uh that's slaughterhouse.bandcamp.com they can stay up to date with news by following them on instagram that's at s slaughterhouse and that's with two r's house on instagram that's right um right yeah that's right i'm looking at it right now. all right all right it's two S's in the beginning. Yeah. So two S's in, at the beginning of Slaughterhouse and two R's in the slaughter. <laughs> and that'll, that'll, that'll be linked below. And um, Frankie and the Witch Fingers music streaming everywhere. Uh, you can visit frankieandthewitchfingers.com for tour dates and follow them on Instagram at Frankie and the Witch Fingers to stay up to date on news and everything like that. And go to greenwayrecords.com. Yeah, shout out to Harry at Greenway Records. We uh, He's helped us so much over the years, and especially in these last two or three years specifically. We, yeah, we he's basically like our fifth member. And Scott, too, who's our tour manager. Yeah. Good deal. And Asquatch, I don't know. At Asquatch666. On Instagram. And, of course, you yourself, Nick, you're on Instagram at, and I, I, I love this, this name, Nick guy one. That's on, right. You were saying it right too. A lot of people think it's my name, Nick Guyone. I'm like, nah, dude, my name is Nick Aguilar. It's Nick guy one. Nick Man. guy one. And um, they'll go follow you for what, what you're DJing and whatnot. And uh, yeah, tours and shows. Gigs, and any gigs that I'm playing with any band, any records that I'm into, any, any DJ gigs that I have coming up, something that I think is funny. I mean, that's essentially, that's essentially what all my, my Instagram is. It's just shit that I like or shit that I think is funny. <laughs> and the trench coat chronicles. I've been, I've, oh, I've, yeah. I've been catching chronicles. those. Yeah. Yeah. I, I burned that out right when I got it. I haven't worn it as much as I used to, but I need to get back into it. It's pretty slick. <laughs> look, uh, Nick, do we miss anything? Um, to, do, do, do we got anything else to promote? Um, at the, no, I mean, I, Alex's I, bar sorry Alex's bar yeah yeah and... I work at Alex's bar in Long Beach and I work at Third Eye Records in uh in Long Beach as well um yeah follow me on Instagram come out to my gigs come out to my DJ gigs um come out to see my bands you know talk to me about music I'm I'm, I'm an open book <laughs> 
Nick, you're the man, dude. Thank you so much. I'm going to stop recording this. I'll talk to you in a minute. All right. All right. Sounds good, dude. Thank you, man.